Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so that he may run who reads it. Sometimes we overlook some of the simple words in the Scripture. They're so practical, we miss them. We're looking for the big stuff, not realizing that the little stuff produces the big stuff. He has the word vision and reading something that you wrote in the same statement. The vision of God, the vision for your life, the vision for the world around you needs to be written and read. When you write it, you will plan it. When you read it, you will run. My life and your life are always under, in, or, uh, under the influence of and in the engagement with a battle that will bring distraction, the kind of distraction that ends up in destruction. The distraction, sometimes it is a distraction toward good, but not the best. I think it's one of the greatest deceptions of hell is that the enemy will distract us with good things and keep us away from the best, accomplishing those things that we've been called to do. And so there is a call here to write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. When you read something, that will motivate. You know, a part of changing anyone's life is reading. We, we, we don't say this enough. I mean, it is reading the Word of God first. But the Bible says to be changed, what has to happen? Our minds have to be renewed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So reading and focus, that's a part of changing who we are from the inside out. What happens is that while we read, we are being re, our life is being refocused and it actually taps in to motivation. Have you ever like come away from reading something good and it re-motivates you? You feel a refreshing in your step. And that's that's a God-given dynamic that that we need. So when we read something, and if we read it over and over and over again, then we're giving more and more focus to it, which means that my life will gravitate toward it because I end up doing what I keep my focus on. What I keep thinking about, I will eventually take action on. So when I continue to read what I'm reading, what I've written or what he's written, when I continue to read it, my life will begin to gear itself toward it and I'll think about it more often and I'll end up taking action on it more often. So for vision to, be, to translate to fulfillment, we have to do what's being said here, that the vision needs to be written and then we need to read it. And when we read it, it says, we will run, that he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. That's the ESV translation. 
I'm calling this waiting on go. But all you have to do is add a D, and you have waiting on God. But often we think waiting on God is stopping. Waiting on God is not stopping. It may be, you know, and understand I'm, I'm using words here to describe certain dynamics, and I know it doesn't totally fit, but you listen carefully. We don't, we don't really actually ever stop. We don't, we don't just twiddle our thumbs waiting on God. Waiting on God is a, is a movement in our life that requires our attention. It requires our focus. So waiting may mean prayer. Waiting may mean reading. Wait, waiting may mean research. Waiting may mean developing uh, relationships. Waiting may mean preparation for the time, but it, it never means don't do anything. I mean, simple worship, prayer, focusing in His Word. Those are actions to take, but that's a part of waiting on God. So I've, I've, just, I've called this series Waiting on Go, because go is the, is the goal. Go is, that's, that's who God is. God is a go God. He, he no, you know, I'm sorry. I keep hearing the word retirement. I, I have tried. I have looked for it. I cannot find it. Now, retirement from your job is one thing, but never do we slide back, even on a vacation, think that, oh, I'm just going to take a vacation from God or a vacation from my relationship with God. You know, I've done that before where I've gone on vacation and I've just, oh man, the ocean and eating all the time and, you know, being around family and them staying with me all day long. And all of that is so awesome that I just get up in the morning and I used to do that many years ago. And listen, vacations were some of the most frustrating getting angry at each other and being, you know, have you ever been there? Am I the only one that has experienced that? And you just want to get home, you know? And I've, I realized early, early on, I, be, I realized, man, I can't, I can't forsake my fellowship with God during vacation. There is no vacation from God. There is no retirement from the kingdom of God and the pursuit of fulfilling His purposes. There's no retirement from that. You see, people talk about me about retirement. What is, how does a pastor retire? Listen, listen to this, listen to this. Everybody else retires so they can do what I'm doing. Everybody else retires so they can do missions work or they can be more involved in the community or, or they can be involved in other, and volunteer in things and have impact, things they've wanted to do for years and years. And they retire so they can do that. So what's a retirement for a pastor? There isn't. You know, <laughs> and you know what? I don't want to do that. I, I want to be, you know, fulfilling the great commission at my last breath. I want to be doing, I want to be involved in this world turning toward Christ with my last breath. Oh, okay. That wasn't in my notes. Let's keep going. Habakkuk. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. So you better be ready. That's what wait means. 
If you, if you don't wait, then you'll just get on with other things. But waiting means be ready. Be ready. Waiting on go. Now, how does this work? And last week, I gave you this outline quickly as we left. Here's the outline. It works like this. You delight, you, you delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And we're going to deal with that specifically. But delighting is the place of dwelling. Dwelling with the Father is the key to vision developing. Dwelling with the Father is the key to getting your desires right. Dwelling with the Father, and when he said, when it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart, and I said this last week, but you, you know, God, if you'll delight yourself in him, he's not worried about your desires because what is delight? Delight is giving direction to your desire. That's what it is. Delight is giving direction to your desire. So when you delight in something, you are giving yourself to that place for pleasure. I'm going to say something. This is not Scripture. This is Craig helping you understand the principle that is in that verse. You could say, delight yourself in the devil and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Because if you delight yourself in the devil, he will also give you direction for your desire. See that? All right, so delight yourself in whatever, and you will seek to have your desires fulfilled in that direction. So delight yourself in the Lord, and you find pleasure in Him, a pleasure that is indescribable compared to other pleasures a peace that pass understanding, a joy that is unspeakable. We're talking about a place of pleasure that cannot be compared to other pleasures. And learning to delight in Him and finding that place of pleasure, you haven't heard much taught in a positive way on pleasure, have you? Let me show you something. Look at... mm, Look at, I'm ahead of myself, but I'm going to do it. Ephesians chapter 1. Now, I have verses 5 through 11 here, but it's really just three verses. Verse 5, verse 9, verse 11. Verse 5 says this, and here's what I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you that this is how God operates. This is how God is motivated. Watch this. Having predestined us to adoption as sons, by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Let let me help you with his will. People think the will of God is anything that actually happens. Because something happens, they say, well, it must have been God's will. That's just not true. That's just not true. The will of God, that's like saying it's the will of God for you and I to go out back and have a fight. If that actually happens, then it must have been the will of God. You know, that's just ridiculous. But the will of God is what God wants. What does God will? What does he want? It's the will of God that all would be saved. Will all be saved? No, but it's what he wants. We're talking about what God wants. And here, so let me rephrase, let me just say it this way. According to the good, by the way, there is a good pleasure. There is a bad pleasure. 
But there's a good pleasure according to the good pleasure of what he wants. God is motivated by pleasure. Whoa, have you ever heard that before? Yes. He's motivated by the pleasure of what he wants. He's God. Now look, at, I'm going to show you again, just in case you didn't believe me. Here we go, down to verse 9, I think it is. Uh, Having made known to us the mystery of what he wants, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. You know, did you ever read Ephesians chapter 1 focused on good pleasure? There it is twice. The good pleasure of what he wants, which he purposed in himself. This is what he's after. His purpose is toward his pleasure. What did he say about Jesus? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. I mean, I've never heard a sermon on God chasing after his pleasure. Hmm. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of what he wants. He works all things according to the counsel of what he wants. It's about what God wants. Now, what we have missed is that this is what Jesus actually came and discipled us into was tapping into God's pleasure. But he began with what we wanted. He started right there. First words. You've heard me in recent messages say this. First, it's, it's a revelation to me. First words out of Jesus' mouth to any disciple. First words. What is it that you want? First words. What is it that you want? Blind Bartimaeus is on the side of the road and is screaming out to Jesus. Have mercy on me when he heard that Jesus is coming down the road. Jesus hears him. They're trying to get him to be quiet. Jesus doesn't have time for you. And he's screaming out. And the truth of the matter is, if he had not screamed out, Jesus would have walked on by. Really? Here's a man who was blind, who that day would be healed, but not because Jesus was walking down the road going, I sense that there's somebody over here who's blind. Now, he may have sensed it. I don't know. But he did not give any attention to this man until this man cried out. And when he cried out and then Jesus gave him the moment, Jesus says to blind Bartimaeus, what do you want from me? What is it that you want? 
What do you want me to do? He's blind. Jesus, can't you see? (laughs) No pun intended there. And Jesus was tapping into the desire of this man. And and then then he, he healed the man, and Jesus says to him, it is your faith that has made you whole. It was not, it was not initiated, if you will, by Jesus who was walking by him. His healing was initiated by his own desire to be healed. Now, where did that desire come from? From a belief that Jesus could do it. He believed who Jesus was and what he could do for him. I mean, there was faith involved, and I want you to see this. I believe that one of the reasons that we have so, you know, analyzed faith and not have seen the results that we think we should be seeing is that faith is strongly tied in to the desires of our heart. And stirring and developing and and getting those desires headed in the right direction is a huge part of our faith rising up. That man wanted it badly enough. He got the attention of Jesus. What about the man on the cross? The thief. This two thieves there, and Jesus didn't turn to him and say, Now, you're about to die. This would be a good time for you to get your heart right. No, it was the man on the cross saying, this, you know, he said, please, Lord, have mercy on me. Jesus said, this day, I'll see you. Jesus, Peter on the boat, I've, I've said this recently, Peter on the boat, Jesus is walking by the boat. The Bible says he would walk on by. And the water, you know, is filling the boat and the storm is churning and they thought he was a ghost. And and Peter calls out to Jesus who is walking by, if that is you out there, Lord, call me out there with you. He initiated the desire somehow, and I won't get into that. I've already preached it once. But, but Peter arrived in the middle of the storm, arrived at an understanding that Jesus was after the desire of his heart. He wanted him to want to be there. He did not just want to say, convince Peter to come out on the water. He wanted Peter to want to be on the water. And that's much of the discipleship that Jesus is doing in our lives every day. He's working on the wanter to get the wanter in the right direction. It's desire that he's after. And once we learn how to desire the right stuff, get out of the way. God is ready to produce it. Somehow getting what he finds pleasure in and what I find pleasure in the same could change the world. 
look at, where am I going? Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. Matthew 26, 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. Waiting on go. If I were to give you a scripture phrase to replace the title of the message, this would be a good one. Go and pray. Waiting on go. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. There's another good title for this series rather than waiting on go. Watch and watch with me. Wait on go. Watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed. When you're waiting on go, this is what you do. You fall on your face and pray. And saying, oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I want, but as you want. The last battle. For Jesus, before going to the cross, the one thing that would stop him from going to the cross, the last engagement with hell was to overcome the temptation of finding another way. And he fought it. He fought the flesh like no man or woman has ever fought the flesh blood coming through the pores of his skin. He was waiting on the Lord. He was getting his desires, getting his fleshly, earthly desires out of the way because we were taught Jesus had not sinned, but this was the last temptation from hell bombarding him with the temptation to give in. He didn't do it. He didn't do it. He said, not what I want, but what you want. Getting his want in line with his want is what saved us, is what motivated him to go all the way. It delivered us. He's working on our desire life. Wanting what he's wanting. And and it worked. By the way, there's a scripture for this. And I read it this morning. For the pleasure, it says for the joy. I'm going to use the word pleasure. For the pleasure that was set before him, he endured the cross. The cross itself was not the pleasure or the joy. It's what he had his desire life bent toward that took him through the cross. 
you know, to fulfill vision and to accomplish great things, well, you're going to have to go through some tough stuff. I'm telling you, you are. But what takes you through that is not the grit and the determination to just succeed through a hard thing. What, what, what gives you that grit is, the, is, is how you have tied into the result. You've tied into the pleasure of the fulfillment. You are looking forward to the joy that is set before you. That will take you through hard stuff. Desiring, and then when you, when you, when we learn to tap into the higher pleasures, see, we're always going after the lower pleasures, and we think that's the end. And we get there, and it is the end. It's a dead end. And there's frustration and even death chasing after these lower pleasures. But go after the higher pleasure of God and tap into those pleasures, the unspeakable joy, the Bible, the, the uh, peace that passes understanding. The pleasures of God are so far greater than these lower pleasures. You know, I, you know we have a way of, you know, finding pleasure in food. Why are you all looking at me? We have a way of finding pleasure in sleep. We have a way of finding pleasure in whatever it is that strokes us. It might be television. What about video games? I mean, they're, they're, we find such pleasure that we start directing our desires in that direction, thinking that the more we do that, the more it will fill the need and we'll be satisfied, and it never happens. You take... Uh, Freud said that sex was it, that sexual pleasure was the motivation of mankind, that if we could learn how to fulfill that, then we would be motivated to do whatever. That, that, was, that was the true motivation was sexual desire. By the way, I sat beside a guy at a, at a, um, a, a, a very big function this week at school, and he was in school the same time I was. And somewhere after graduation, somewhere along the way over the years, he got caught in sexual um, bondage, a very deep form of it. And he sat there beside me in tears, sharing his deliverance of how he had been delivered from sexual bondage. It was one of the most beautiful moments of my week. We cried together and laughed together because he had been delivered, and he was so, I mean, he, this guy was so on fire for God. He's, he's actually, he's a, uh, um, he works for the airlines, and he travels a lot. And so he'll just walk up to people and just start preaching the gospel. I mean, he's just on fire. He eventually found where the real pleasure was and came back to the Lord in a way that brought deliverance to his life. There's a higher pleasure. Jesus fought and won that battle in the Garden of Gethsemane. By the way, Gethsemane means pressed olives, oil. The oil of anointing comes from Gethsemane. It comes from winning the battle. 
Uh, Jesus has done all the striving. We've got to learn how to yield and, and how to yield to the presence of God in worship. All right, I'm going to close with this. So turn to, um, uh, let's see, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. In this manner, by the way, you could quote this one, I guarantee you. And you're going to say, no, Craig, I, have, I don't quote Scripture like you do. Well, you do this one. In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father. And see, you could quote the next couple of verses. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. This is how you should wait on go. This is how you do it. First, it's all about your relationship with the Father. Address Him. Connect with Him, our Father. We're not, we're not praying to Santa Claus. Lord, I have desires in my heart. If you would just meet those desires, Lord, I need you to meet this desire and this desire, and I want this. Lord, if you just do this for me, and then everything would be awesome. God wants to meet our needs, but he, he, he doesn't want to be Santa Claus. He wants to be Father. I don't come to my Father, first thing, asking for things. That's not the right relationship, is it? But he's my Father, I'm his child. This is where, this is the beginning of aligning our desire life. It's realizing I'm a child of the Father who doesn't withhold any good thing from me and whose greatest gift is His Spirit. And then He says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Worship. What happens in worship? When I worship, you know, uh, in Hebrews it said, you know, Letting those weights fall off of us and the sin that so, in, so easily entangles worship just, it just releases chains fall off and old thoughts get washed and all the junk that is directing my desires in the wrong direction wash away the more I worship. Worship, worship, all eyes on him now. With my eyes on him, now I'm directing my delight. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Desires will change. They'll become his. What he has pleasure in, you will have pleasure. Where his pleasures are fulfilled, your pleasures will be fulfilled. He'll give you your heart's direction will now chase after and be fulfilled by Him. He'll give you the desires of your heart and worship. Then He says, Thy kingdom come, Thy 
wants be done. Can I say it that way? Thy will be done on earth, at earth as it is in heaven. What he wants. Lord, here's he. So Jesus is saying, relate to him as Father. Worship him. Now, pray. This is how I want you to pray, Jesus said. I want you to ask him that what he wants will happen. Lord, I want what you want to happen. I'm asking before I ask for my needs to be met. The next line says, give me this day my daily bread. And we have just enough need that Jesus says, I'll meet all of that in a day. (laughs) I mean, he says, I'll meet what you need today. I'll meet your need. But what you need, you think you know what you need, see? You don't know what you need. You just know what you want. I wake up, I used to wake up in the morning and think I had, I mean, I would tell people, I need that cup of coffee. I need it. I'll die if I don't have that cup of coffee. (laughs) And then I read in a book, this is years ago, I read in a book somewhere that what my body needed when I woke up in the morning was water. So the first thing I do now after brushing my teeth and whatever is I go downstairs and I get a glass of water. Then I get the cup of coffee so I don't die. But here's what I found. I actually found that, like, if I, drink, if I forget to drink my water and I drink coffee, I, my body actually loses energy within the next few minutes, hour. I can, and, and it'll remind me. I'll feel my body go down. I think, oh, man, I didn't drink my water this morning. Because my body needed water. I thought it needed coffee because I wanted coffee. I had directed my delight into the coffee cup. And so my body was given to that, and I thought that my need would be met if I would drink the cup of coffee, the lower pleasure. But then I realized my body actually needs water. And then I realized, you know, if I'm asking Jesus to meet my needs, he's good enough to let me buy a cup of coffee or to buy coffee that's ground and do it myself. He's good enough to do that. Thank you, Lord, for that. But what what I actually need that day is not coffee. I need water. The greater pleasures are His that He's paid the price for. And He says, give us this day our daily bread. So I'm actually praying before I'm asking God to meet my needs. I'm actually praying, Lord, what you want I want to happen here. I'm asking that what you want will take place. That's what he says. Pray that way because that's what you want, what you really want, what you really need is for God's desires to be fulfilled. That's what we want. Close with this example. So, I was uh, in one of the meetings I was in, they were giving testimonies of really people from the past at school. But they brought in this girl who just graduated, 2015, May, graduated. And they said, We want to introduce you to an ORU grad who, weeks just in September, opened an orphanage in Haiti. How do, you, how do you graduate in May and open an orphanage, you know, as a 22-year-old? 
in Haiti. When she was a freshman, she went on a missions trip. And while she was there, she discovered a group, an, an, an organization, a lot going on in Haiti. And so there was this organization there uh, that she ran into that was not taking care of the orphans. They were abusing and mistreating the orphans. And she came back, a college student. She didn't really tell anybody what she was doing so as not to draw a lot of attention to it. But she came back with such a heavy burden that she began to pray, Lord, I've got to do something about this. And so single-handedly, well, she learned how to walk out Habakkuk, Habakkuk 2, 2, and 3. And she began to pray, wait on the Lord, write it out, write it out, plan, read it, and act on it. And while she's getting her degree and planning for her life, she is researching and calling people. And so she actually found a lawyer in Haiti. She found people to help her financially. And she sued this place, got the children away from them, found a facility and somebody to run it. And in September, cut the ribbon, and 70 kids walked into this orphanage for Christian care. Saved. They had been beaten. They had been scarred. It was terrible. She was just a college student with a vision. And she discovered the heart of God for those kids. Nothing of it. Waiting on go. See, she was waiting. But imagine if she didn't do anything till she got out of school. She was waiting on go. She was preparing and getting ready so that when she graduated, she could open that thing up and save those kids. Wow. Waiting on go. Let's stand together.